Hey everybody, this is Ian Riccoboni, the voice of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Same with Conrad, they were very appreciative of my time and they really worked with my schedule. The Conrad's team uh, met me at the hours that I needed to meet them to walk through the specifics. Uh, the paperwork was clear, the communication was clear to make the decision super easy to work with. So we actually went from a 30-year mortgage, we refinanced down to a 15-year mortgage and now our house is going to be paid by the time the kids go to college. If you want to save like I did and like Nick Aldis did and so many others uh, in the professional wrestling world, please go to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lender. It's SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend himself, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Conrad. Looking forward to an exceptional show. Uh, we have a controversial topic right off the bat. Okay. Should we get to it? Let's do it. Uh, the Women for Sheriff um, loungewear I was sporting on the last podcast that we talked about raised the ire of an older woman uh, in a bank who took umbrage to these words. She said, well, first of all, to comment on somebody's attire, right? And when there's so many ripe, yeah, it could be the fanny pack, I object to you wearing a fanny pack at 58, almost 58, no socks with those shoes, that's a terrible look. Or she could say, I am, I'm offended by someone who wears basically pajamas in public. But what she took offense to was the words women for sheriff. And I would just took me back. I said, she said, women for sheriff. How can you wear that? I said, you don't think women can be sheriffs? She goes, if I was sheriff, I'd just kill them all. Oh, my and I said, goodness. you would kill them all. She said, no, but I would lock them up and throw away the key. I said, for every offense. So we got into the minutia like jaywalking. No, because that's a misdemeanor, but any felony life. And there was just no reasoning with this woman. The only thing we could agree on was that George Santos was a pathological liar. So <laughs> oh my that seems to be the common ground. Like if you're with someone and things are starting to get ugly, I bet that Santos fellow, because I believe my goodness. we all have earned the right to uh, mock Mr. Santos. Uh, well, there's no mocking uh, the success of your new television show on Sunday nights. Is it a success? I think so. I've enjoyed it. Have yeah. You enjoyed well, it? I'm definitely enjoying it. I mean, as far as the ratings, uh, you know, the, when the first one came out, I was like, oh, I was hoping it would do a little bit better. But it's a different day and age. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but when I was concerned, the showrunner said, look, it's down 20% from the farewell, you know, from two years ago, but view, TV viewership in general is down 35%. So compared to the average show, it's, it's doing well. And that's the type of show that lives on, Forever. finds new viewers. You give a non-fan five minutes and they will watch it in the same way that I'll watch American Pickers. Yes. Or Pawn Stars, even though I have no interest in the item they might be uh, dealing with. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I really like it. I, I'm pretty tough on my own body of work. The only knock I have is I look exceptionally heavy in the show. Other than that, I'm, I'm really happy with it. It's like all the pe all the flying seemed to have paid off. You know, like I legit did fly 
and I sorry if I covered this in the last episode, <clears throat> on a round trip to Steve Austin's house is about 26 hours, talking about from door to door, because there is no nonstop to that right. remote area. He lives, uh, you have to make a, you have to, you know, he lives 150 miles from Reno or 100 miles from Reno. So you have to make your way to Reno and then drive another 100 miles. But it's worth it when you see it on screen. Yes. Well, I may have been questioning the wisdom of having me fly out there just to have Steve verify a pair of knee braces that could have been verified uh, via Zoom. Mm -hmm. But when you see it on the screen and, and that majestic like landscape, you know, and the, the, the beautiful snowfall all around us. I thought it was pretty good. And I really enjoyed this past episode with Randy Savage. The last time we have a chance to see Lanny Poffo, and he was blown away by the tapes that Ben Brown was able to. Unbelievable to see Randy Savage, that character, before anyone knew who he was. So I remember, you know, being a huge Snooka fan, of course, uh, that I was talking about that dive off the uh, off the top when I broke into Danucci School, and Brian Hildebrand told me that Randy Savage used to drop elbows off the top of cages in front of a couple hundred people at those shows. So he was like a legend among legends, and I'm so glad that uh, I had a chance to be that. The only well, I said the one regret is that I was heavy. The other regret is I don't think you can appreciate how many times DDP punched me in the shoulder during right. that car ride. Yeah, and the positivity was all over me. It took me a couple weeks to get shake back down. It yeah, shake it off. Okay, I'm back to normal. <laughs> I uh, so far I, I, I've managed to say I think all of them. Uh, what we had uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin episode, we had the DX episode, now the Savage episode. Any idea what's coming up this Brett, weekend? Bret Hart, okay. and this is a really good one. This is a really good one, and it's in the hands of the editors. But I have so much confidence in them. And uh, the, our team just, they capture the great shots so that when, uh, the, when, when the crew talks to Booker in the, uh, uh, po uh, not post-op. <laughs> the recap at the end. All the, all the recaps. Booker, Lita, and I each have distinctly different places where we do our our uh, our promos like that. Mm. And so uh, I re I'm really glad they went through all that work because the easy thing to do would be to put us against uh, a backdrop yeah. and have all three of us do it, but they find the unique lighting and it kind of gives us each uh, our own character, I think, on the show. And I'm, I'm really happy with it. The one with Brett is really good. Um, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything, uh, but a lot of Brett's things went missing and were stolen and he thought he'd never see them again. Wow. And the idea, if I just walked in and say, hey, can we have Bret Hart's uh, <laughs> you know, leather ring jacket? We're not likely, that's not good TV. Right. And we, the truth is we really had to dig in our heels and really try to cut deals <laughs> that, uh, that leave the, um, the collector happy. Right? We want everyone to be happy. And uh, my, uh, my son asked me when we were watching the the, uh, the um, Randy Savage episode, he goes, is there ever a time when you don't get a deal? I said, yeah, yeah, you'll see them. You know, you'll see a few of them. And things got a little tense, for example, with Medusa, uh, where I was worried about how she was going to come across. But uh, I don't want to give away too much, but let's just say that uh, there's a reason why that women's championship belt wasn't on display at uh, Royal Rumble. So Stay tuned. Yeah, Every stay Sunday tuned. night, there you I'm go. loving it. A&E is where you can catch it. 
And this past week, if you listen to uh, one of our favorite podcasts, this past weekend with Theo Vaughn, friend of the show, Will Sasso was on talking about how much he loves your podcast, man. Pretty cool to hear from Will. Yeah. Will, he does an exceptional uh, imitation of me. And I know years ago when there was talk about doing a, a movie, he threw his hat into the ring, you know, and the funny thing was at that point, he's like, brother, I'd be willing to lose some weight. Like he would be willing to lose weight to play me. And I think it would have been one of those roles where on the surface people go, oh, I got comedian Will Sasso playing you, but I think he would have, that would have been like his Will Ferrell. It, yeah. That would have been like his everything must go moment for Will, like Will Ferrell had, right? Like, ooh, he's more than just the funny guy. I love it. Well, let's jump into our topic today because we're going to show that uh, there are multiple facets to this Cactus Jack character. Cactus goes extreme. We're going to be taking a look back at your time in ECW. Uh, we just have uh, picked up where we left off, I guess, in 1994 yeah, when yeah. you're finishing up there. And we've discussed your short stint in ECW earlier in the year when you were working with Sabu and Mr. Hughes. That's available in the archives over at FoleyOnYouTube.com. But when you're leaving WCW... Did you say Mr. Hughes? Mm-hmm. I don't think he was with ECW at that time. He did a little pop on, uh, pop in, but not while I was there. The, we've already talked about it in the archives. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, today. Right, we're gotcha. talking about leaving WCW okay. and going more full gotcha, time. Gotcha. You had okay. been in there before as like a one-off. Yeah. Yes, know, I had with Sabu. Shot. Right. Um, but now you're going to be really trying to do a more. I don't want to say full time, but more of a residency, if you will, with ECW. Yes. And at the time. It's Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman. We talk a lot about Paul Heyman and the genius of his work, but talk to us a little bit about what made you think, Hey, this might be a home. Did you click with Todd Gordon? Was that a Kevin Sullivan thing? Was it all through Heyman? How does that come to be? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did click with Todd right away. I, I think, uh, my first official words to Todd were, uh, yeah, my, my real name's not Jack Manson because that's what my plane ticket came in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and even pre nine 11, you might have trouble boarding the plane as <clears throat> if your real name is Michael Foley, it might be tough to board the plane as Jack, Jack Manson. Manson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but listen, Todd was in the, on the ground floor of, uh, Joel, a good hearts, mm-hmm. uh, TWA. TWA. And I think he he thought to himself, hey, instead of just being in the background uh, as the, the main benef- one of the main benefactors, let me uh, give this a try myself. Eddie Gilbert was his original booker, and Eddie's got a great mind, uh, and he was there for a while and did some great stuff. And then Paul Lee took over and uh, kind of took the company to heights that are still talked about to this day. But uh, but Todd was the guy who believed enough in the vision to support it and you know later became an on-air character had a couple of memorable <laughs> matches laughing memorable doesn't have to necessarily mean great but right. they did the job you know i mean if you're if bill alfonso and todd gordon are not supposed to have a five-star classic but i believe that was the night where it was feared that fonzie might bleed out uh so it was really uh <clears throat> yeah it was it was um really too bloody, but it definitely got the point across. Uh, did Paul know that you had given your notice? I mean, what's, what's communication like to just get you in the door? I mean, are you discussing creative and all that while you're still in WCW? I think so. 
I think because I'd given my notice and WCW wanted to have a, a, a working relationship anyway, I do believe, I mean, I was talking to Paul before the Sabu match too. Uh, right. So I always had a good channel of communications with Paul. I can't remember exactly what the buildup was as far as what, what Paul told me I might be engaged in, but I knew that part of my job was to uh, try to help out and establish some of the younger talent uh, in the same way. I don't know if anyone could do it quite the same way that Terry Funk did, but in that same vein. But also, uh, Paul made it clear he was gonna give me the creative freedom so that I could do things with the character that I thought needed to be done. Right. Um, you wrote in your book that when you're leaving WCW, ECW was gonna be your top priority. Yeah. Why was that? Was it because they were stateside and you felt like they had more momentum than any other indies? I mean, why wasn't Japan gonna be your Well, I think Japan, <clears throat> at the moment I left, ECW is my top priority. So uh, that was September of 94. And it wasn't until I heard that Terry Funk signed with IWA Japan that I placed the call saying I wanted to be to go over there on one tour. And after I'd done just a couple days there, it was clear that I'd found a home there, that the owner, Mr. Asano, was really high on me, thought that I could be uh, you know, the top uh, foreign heel. Uh, so that did become my priority because I was making the $300 a night there uh, for, 10, for 10 days. But I, I had a great agreement with Paul that I could still go and do my, uh, my stuff in Japan, uh, that it wasn't going to hurt my programs that he could, in ECW, that Paul could book them in a way that my absence wouldn't be missed too much. And besides, they had a stack card. And they had a lineup where every match and every character meant something. So even if it was Hack Myers opening up the show, you know, he's the Shav. Yes. You know, with, with the, that was more in what he said when he made con Shav, yeah. I think he shouted it out. He was never actually like a. Yeah. <laughs> a but the whole crowd would chant it with it. The him. whole crowd would chant it with it. So you had a stack card, and they were gonna, going to draw that. 800 to 1,000, whatever the max was at the uh, arena. at the arena anyway. So I had a good, uh, so the only difficulty in the situation is that when uh, Dan Severn won the UFC championship and Dan went over to work with IWA, now we're in a position where I'm kind of working with the opposition because Dan was also the NWA yes. champion uh, as headed up by Dennis Corluzzo. And in August, uh, that relationship. Oh, uh, yeah. Went that went south. south. So to be walking that tight line and doing both was pretty difficult. But I think, uh, I think that's the reason why I was never the champion while I was there. Uh, because uh, <laughs> Dan Sever decided that he wanted to take it from me in the ring in Japan. Yeah, he probably could have. So, uh, so I, I think that's why that. Or maybe I was the guy who didn't need a title, right? Because I was, you know, no attraction uh, without it. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you sort of said maybe tongue in cheek, maybe not. I was getting the three hundred dollars a night. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the pay scale was in ECW, but the idea of going to Japan was they were going to use you on multiple shows in a row. It's not like you're going over for $300. You're going to be here and you're going to work many, many shows over this stint, right? Yes. And I think, I don't know if I have my timeline correct, but when um, everything went down, changing the name from um, 
uh, ECW be, stopped being Eastern Championship Wrestling so became extreme. extreme. Terry took offense to the demolition of the NWA title because it meant so much to him and his brother. And Terry left ECW for a period of, I think, four months. I think it was four months. Um, and I really, what I wanted to do, Conrad, is I wanted to be able to prove to the fans, to the wrestling world, but most importantly to myself, that I was capable of drawing money. And like I said, if you're in that ECW arena, they're going to draw that sellout regardless of who's on top. And uh, I thought in ECW, I'd have the t I mean in Japan, IWA Japan, I've had a chance to uh, run with the ball. Nobody's going to ask for it back. Nobody's going to pull out the carpet from underneath me. And the fact that I had the feud with Terry Funk going over there did make that eventually my priority. Let's um, let's talk about you know where ECW was at the time. You know the wrestling business as a whole is down in 1994. Okay, the WWF is down. WCW is down. WCW's yet to even turn a profit. This is pre Nitro era. Yeah. And most of the other territories are dead. Like there is no championship wrestling from Florida and Portland, not really a thing. And world class is gone. The AWA is gone. ECW is kind of it, right? Like they don't have national television. They don't even have a huge syndicated network, but as far as just the indie promotion with buzz, mm -hmm. they're sort of to make a modern comparison, the GCW of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, I would th yeah, I would think so. I also um I look at some of the things I did with Sabu outside of ECW and that was some of the stuff that really motivated me more than anything else. The matches with Sabu and seeing what we were willing to do and put on the line in front of relatively small crowds for relatively small payoffs kind of gave me that eye of the tiger for when I was trying to come back and really make a good uh counting for myself against Randy Orton. So I was I was really set on expanding that character, the Cactus mm -hmm. Jack character, being able to express uh, anger and frustration and humor, you know, sometimes within the same uh, the, the, the same promo. And I grew like, I don't know if exponentially is the right word, but I grew a great deal under the tutelage of Paul Heyman, who basically had the wisdom to know which wrestlers needed more attention, which needed less. So if, uh, you know, someone might be a plant that needs the Charlie, you know, Linus's blanket around it and lift it up and supply everything, whereas some guys, like Steve Austin, when he came in, and I'll include myself in that conversation, just needed like the air and freedom to create. And we had that under Paul. And I think both of us did really, really well under those circumstances. So this is probably the most exposure you can get at the time, you know, outside of WWF and WCW, just to keep that underground buzz. And Sabu had really become like an underground legend. Mm -hmm. Was that, I only bring this up because once upon a time you told us when Dave Meltzer wrote in the observer that you were the best quote unquote, no name wrestler mm -hmm. in the United States, you valued that underground buzz. Oh, quite sure. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt it immediately. And we talked in a past episode about how I got three full-time job offers within right. a few days of that being printed. Um, so I did value that buzz and, uh, you know, I appreciated that 
Sabu was a guy who was so dedicated to his gimmick, he wouldn't talk, which has no doubt cost him, you know, these days, uh, because he wasn't able to take his character in different directions. And now Sabu, you know, he goes out to the table, he doesn't have Super Genie with him, he lost his wife uh, a while back, and he just, it's not a good fit, he just doesn't seem like a guy that, you know, he's not really a people person. Right. Uh, character didn't lend itself to that. Right. Yeah, and he did so well with it. He wouldn't even go out and sell gimmicks, you know, at shows up until, you know, whatever, a handful of years ago. You have right. to do it out of necessity now. But I really admired his dedication to the character, really admired it, you know, the trust he placed in me because you can't do that stuff without trust. Um, and we, we did some great stuff together. I just wanted to bring up the whole underground piece of this equation because there's a lot of folks who take the attitude of, oh, the observer and the torch don't matter. But I would argue if you're not a television wrestler, you got to court press and just keep your name out there. And sure, you could go work a bunch of indies that maybe are more off the beaten path and don't get that coverage. But getting that coverage and having people talk about you fondly, that is the way people in the industry are going to say, oh, well, this guy's getting hot. Let's get him before somebody else does. Right? I, yeah, proof is in the pudding. I went from having zero full-time offers ever to three within a few days. I took the Memphis offer, and uh, you know that changed my life. Uh, we didn't particularly enjoy it my time there, but in retrospect, I've seen how valuable it is. Got you going. Yeah, it got me going. It got me in a position where you're working every single week in a different city, so you can't do the same match twice. In Nashville, for example, you didn't even see your opponent, so you had to learn to work on the fly, and it was a great learning experience. I didn't. I wasn't happy there. Right. It made me wonder if wrestling was for me, but then when I got to World Class, also owned by Jerry Jarrett, it was like night and day. It was like I'd been given a second lease on life. Well, let's talk about when you returned to Philadelphia. It's August 13th, 1994. Hardcore heaven for a dream match. It's you versus the hardcore legend. Well, the maybe OG version, Terry Funk. And ECW always had a reputation for clean finishes and things like that. But unfortunately here... Maybe not so much. Melton but I, right. Okay. After a strong undercard, the Funk Cactus Shack main event only oh, yeah. went five minutes. I, I'm going to cut him off there. Cut you off. I don't give a fuck about the rating. I don't. We're not going to discuss the rating. We created a moment that is talked about to this day. You know I don't drop F-bombs unless they're nope. warranted. You do not. Rating that on a, on a star scale is... It's almost a moot point because it's all about that moment. And so, yeah, you could argue we should have had a 20-minute classic. Uh, but if you have a moment where people are talking about it, 20, that was, that was 1994. So we're talking almost 30 years after the fact. And they're still talking about it. It's a big deal. And then you're going to go back and give it a dud rating? Well, he didn't. Uh, well, I don't even want to know. Well, he didn't rate it at all. He okay. just said that the match only went five minutes right. before Public Enemy comes in and, and does the attack. And the fans are maybe upset with that because they were expecting a classic. No one could have predicted what it was. But it's written in The Observer that the reason it only went five minutes and it landed the way it did is because the show had run long. And the joke forever was that this building was a bingo hall 
It actually was. And they, they had do, this, yeah. They do midnight bingo. <laughs> so you, we have to usher out Cactus Shack and Terry Funk. We have to cut their time because the other guys yeah. went so long. And by God, they got to get the bingo started. Uh, see, I didn't know that. That's amazing I to me. I would have loved to have had the better match with Terry, but I'm going to stand by my F-bomb there. And say, yes. I don't really care. It's about creating moments. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, when it comes to the Royal Rumble, where I did the three uh, the three entries, there were going to be two guys who were going to be griping is and fans because I cost them their shot. Right. Same thing with the gimmick battle royal. But all apologies to the guys who missed out on a payoff. We're in the business of creating memories. Yes, and that was a fun event. That was you know that was fun. The gimmick battle royal. I mean, it was uh, it was a blast. Yes. Um, and we're backstage laughing. You want to give people the best show you can. And if a cut, you know, some, there's different ways. I still say there's different ways to cross the finish line. Yes. And if you can cross it with a four and a half star match, that's great. But if you can create a moment for people that lasts for 30 years, 30, if I go to a show and I could do one of my uh, one man shows, and I've said this maybe five or six times, it's not like it's a, you know, a, a continual thing. When I see there's not a chair on stage for me, sometimes I'll have a stool, which is not comfortable for me given the nerve issues I have in my back. And I'll say, could somebody, and then I'll stop and go, hold on a second. I was about to ask someone for a chair, but I learned the hard way in Philadelphia. And it gets the pop because yes. people know it. So I'm all about, you know, I'll put the memories I made up there with just about anyone. Certainly this is an unbelievable moment. And I know that a lot of fans who saw Public Enemy and the WWE for just a hiccup and they saw their WCW run, they maybe have their own impression. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could argue that the gimmick and presentation doesn't hold up. However, here at 94 and 95, Public Enemy were over they like were Rover over, yeah. in Philadelphia. And this is still becoming one of the more famous arenas in the world. I think everyone was talking about it that way by say 97, but in 94, it was an electric building. You could yeah. just feel the energy in the air. And, and plus people that were there, the fans were in on the ground floor. Yes. They were discovering the musical act before that was cool. Playing the bottom line before they played the garden. Yeah. And so they were really, and they were part of the show. Yes. The fans were part of the show. Uh, so yeah, sorry, sorry to drop the uh, f bomb no, on unsuspecting public. This is I'm going to tell you this is something that I probably get goosebumps when I talk about it, and I talk about two different. There are different ways to get over the finish line. The only thing that matters is how you get there. So I even said in my Santa memoir, you know, as comparing theatrical beards to real beards, it doesn't matter. It's what you do with the presentation, and I said that. Austin and Rock were uh, two of the greatest stars of their generation, two of the biggest drawing cards, no doubt. And I asked Hunter one time, just out of the blue, I didn't lead him in any direction. I said, Hunter, you've worked with Steve and Rock. He goes, yeah. I said, what's the big, biggest difference between them? He goes, uh, Steve's punches hurt like hell and Rock's don't hurt at all. I was like, exactly. But you can't tell me that both of them didn't do a fantastic job. Right. So that as it relates, hold on, I'm gonna try to pick up my thought here about the uh, way over the finish line. Ah, good, ah, I forgot my thought. Keep we'll talking, it'll come to me. This is a challenging arena to wrestle in front of. Not only do you have maybe arguably the smartest fans in the world mm -hmm. and the most passionate fans, but now you're in the main event 
and they're expecting a hardcore brawl because you're Cactus Jack yeah. and he's Terry Funk. But on some level, they've seen garbage can lid shots and tables and all chairs yeah. and all night. And once upon a time, that was reserved for one match and it made it special. But now when guys are bleeding in the first match, mm. it's like, it's almost impossible to top it. And so you guys already know that you're running long on, on time and. Oh, I know that I know what I'm going to say. Okay. I got, the, I have the point. Sorry about that. Maybe Grillo can cover this in creative editing, or maybe it's good for people to see that we all make mistakes. Sure. And we, um, so in almost back to back nights, I went to see uh, Jethro Tull uh, with with Carrie Silken from uh, 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 Ring of Honor fame, former owner, a huge Tull fan. So I've been to see like three or four Tull fans with him over the years, Tull shows. And the next night I went to see Jack White, who my friend uh, Catherine Popper played bass for. But this is when Jack White had two different bands, a male band and a female band. And he didn't necessarily alternate one for one, he would make the call like a few hours before the show, which uh, which band was going. So I was I was glad that we played Radio City Music Hall. My friend Catherine was, you know, the female band got the call. But afterwards, I was talking to the uh, I was talking to the keyboardist from the male band, and he said, "Yeah, when I jo- when I joined the band, the first thing Jack told me was I don't care about the notes." And he tried to say something, and Jack looked at me and said. I don't care about the notes. He cares about the feeling behind the notes and that Jack White is, even as a phenomenal guitarist, he makes the occasional mistake. Yes. You listen to his live version of Jolene, it's not smooth, but it's filled with such, it's raw emotion. It's one of the most emotional presentations of a song I've ever heard. So I asked my friend Catherine, I said, was he, did he play Maggie's Farm? Out there, there were like elements of Bob Dylan's Maggie Farm, and my friend Catherine said, Mick, or dude, dude, there's at least one time every night where Jack just takes off and we try to keep up with him. And you could contrast that to the Tull show, which was choreographed A to Z, every single thing, but you know what? They were both great shows. Yes. One completely A to Z choreographed, the other one Jack White more or less calling the match on the fly. And so that, that's, that's my musical way of showing no one way to get the job done. Right. So if you can get the job done and it incorporates a 20-minute classic, which I wish I'd had, uh, that's great. But if you can create a memory, I'll take the memory over. I'll take a two-star match and a memory like the one we, uh, we already talked about in the steel cage at SummerSlam 97. Yes. I'll take that moment. Over a five-star over classic. a five-star classic that's going to be forgotten the next week, any day of the week, twice on Sunday, brother. So what's fascinating about this Public Enemy run-in is that it's you and Funk tearing it up. Y'all are opponents, but when Public Enemy comes in, you team with Funk. Like, yes, we got to get these guys out of here. Right. They're trying to steal our spotlight. And you wrote in your book after a minute they went down, and Terry told me to get him a chair. There were no more within easy reach, so I called to a fan to throw me his. He willingly obliged, and a chair sailed into the ring. Then another one flew in. Then another. Then another, and another, and another. It was literally raining chairs as the plastic seating devices were coming from all angles. In all my years, it was the damnedest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> I stood there in wonderment at this spectacle until one of the chairs bounced off my head 
And then I realized it was time to leave. <laughs> in a scene that would be replayed weekly on ECW TV for years, the ring had been bombarded with over 200 chairs with the public enemy literally buried underneath when they emerged <laughs> from under the sea of hard plastic. <coughs> we had the next show's main event already booked. It was going to be Funk and Cactus taking on public enemy. <coughs> this is arguably number one or number <coughs> Sorry, two cough. Yep. most iconic moments in ECW history, and it was an accident. Yeah. And in, in, <coughs> oh man, <coughs> sorry, love the Zoa, but it just went down the wrong pipe. No fault of the energy drink. Um, it was an accident. So we had no idea it was going to happen. And right. this is, I mentioned, I bailed out. Uh, Johnny Grunge and, and Ted Rocco Rock, Ted Petty, who I'd known for years, you know, probably 10 years before then. Yeah, I, I met him when I first broke in in 80, 86. Your common sense tells you to get out from that situation. And to their credit, they stayed there while uh, at least 100 chairs, we could probably <coughs> find some account, rained down on them. And that just created, it added to the aura and the spectacle. Of ECW and Public Enemy and Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. And it's one of those that I don't think you could script. And Because they, the fans tried to relive that moment a few few different places around the loop. In Fort Lauderdale, for example, it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Not only was it not the same, <coughs> I should also mention, not to be fuddy-duddies, it's also a big liability. Oh my God. If yeah. it hits a fan, yeah. that's bad. Um, it, it's just amazing. And, and I'm curious, you know, you've talked a lot about this on the show. When you come back through the curtain, you have that post show euphoria. Now this isn't the classic match you were hoping for, <coughs> but you had to know in that moment, you're creating a magic moment. I think so. I yeah. think we all, I can't remember exactly how I felt or whether I had that post match, uh, rush and glow. But I think we all recognize that something really <laughs> highly unusual and special had gone down. Elsa would write, even though some thought it saved the show, promoter Todd Gordon was furious about the chair throwing <laughs> because of the potential injury to a fan or wrestler from a bad throw. Gordon estimated double the number of chairs were thrown than at the July 16th show, and that it would never be allowed to happen again and was furious at Funk for calling for the fans to repeat the wild and dangerous scenes. People were largely upset by the main event's brevity and lack of a finish. Do you remember getting a talking to from Todd after the show? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, what a first impression. Like, you leave WCW, this is your first show in. You've created a moment, but maybe the promoter's pissed, but he doesn't say anything, so it can't be that bad. I don't recall him being being angry about it. Um, I could be wrong. A lot of years have gone by. I do remember Terry being furious with me over the uh, October to forget. You know, the, if there's a November to remember, the October to forget would be the... Uh, the fire incident, but that may have been 95. Well, we're going to get okay, there. Okay, okay. Um, the match that was supposed to happen with uh, with you and Terry against the public enemy, it doesn't happen because he misses his flight. <clears throat> well, I think that's because he was upset about, would that match? <sighs> so I knew Terry was upset about the NWA, uh, the NWA title being demolished. Well, that was August 27th. So for you to have made your debut here, he couldn't have been, oh, yeah, you're exactly right. 
This was August 13th. So two weeks after that is when Shane threw the belt yeah. down. So Terry was upset about throwing down the 10 pounds. I think so. And so I think Paul, I mean, I don't know if it's ever been proven. I don't know about Todd ever, announced that he missed his flight. Missed his flight. But, but I think he missed that. it on purpose. Yeah. I got you. And so uh, I remember Paul talking to me and saying there's only two people that the crowd would accept as a substitute. One would be 911. And the other would be Mikey Whipwreck. And you wrote in your book, What do we do? I asked Todd, Can we use a substitute? And Todd said, It'll never work. The only guys the fans wouldn't shit on is Big Al. Of course, talking about 911. Um, I thought about the situation for a minute before asking, What about Mikey? I asked for Mikey, huh? Without funk, we knew we needed a gimmick, but I felt Mikey was it. Went to the ring alone with the sounds of Steppenwolf's Born to be Wild, and the fans were aware that Funk wasn't in attendance, but no substitute had yet been named. When Public Enemy hit the ring, I grabbed the house mic and said I would be turning shortly with my partner. Joey Styles called the action as I disappeared behind the curtain. Who is Cactus Jack going to find? What tough guy, what tremendous athlete, what former world champion will he return with? It's Mikey. Oh my but God! He goes, it's well, Mikey. He, he paused. He goes, "What former tough guy? For what tough guy? What former world champion? It's Mikey." And this is when Joey was really at the top of his game. The man, really, the only guy who was calling matches by himself. Yes, he, he, I guess he did occasionally have a color commentator, but by and large, called a lot of the stuff by himself, and he really illuminated that moment. How excited was Mikey? I mean, this is his first time. Yeah, because the fans have been getting behind Mikey big time. Like, they recognize here's a guy uh, giving us a lot of bang for the buck, but he's still that guy. I think by that time he had won a title, but he had won it after taking a tremendous beating and went over in a fluke. And he was like, you know, when you introduce it, when you interview a guy after his. title win you expect this big bravoro performance and mikey's comment i think was my mother's gonna kill me or something that out of fact he was just this really cool unique character and i thought that we would work well together as an odd couple of sorts it's uh it's interesting that you know he doesn't want to be here you're dragging him down there <laughs> eventually they get the better of you he goes to the back and he comes back with a weapon but it's not a chair or glass or a table or a stop sign or any of that. It's a piece of paneling that you said was a as flimsy and threatening as a gaggle of baby geese, but it made a hell of a noise upon impact. Uh, and what do you know? You guys wind up winning the ECW tag team titles. Um, you know, public enemy, one of the most over acts. I could totally see them putting the tag titles on you and Terry Funk, I'm sure no one imagines when it's Mikey Whipwreck that that'll be the result, but it is. Uh, This is a fun moment, not just for you, but for Mikey Whipwreck too. It was, it was really special. It was, it was really cool. We had so much fun, not just at the big televised events, but at the house shows where he was the, uh, the unwilling uh, participant. But when it came, push came to shove, he had my back. We had a lot of fun cutting promos. Steve Austin, he really liked the promos that I cut with Mikey. To this day, if I see him, it's very likely, likely that Steve will say the words, fire, pizzazz. This kid's a great white meat baby face, which is what I said about Mikey. And it was true. He did have the fire, the pizzazz. He was a great white meat baby face. 
The finish is fun too. You've got Rocco rock on the top rope. It looks like he's about to end Mikey Whipwreck. You're still woozy kind of dazed and knocked out. You fall into the ropes that allows Rocco to lose his, his standing yeah. and, and, and just fall crotch himself and then fall into the ring. Mikey rolls him up. Oh my God. The pop is gigantic. Oh yeah. Nobody could see it coming. No. And Bruce has often said in the case of a substitution, the replacement has to be better than what the original one was. And no one would argue here that, that Mikey Whipwreck was what the fans wanted to see more than Terry Funk, but when they don't get it, no one could have imagined this finish. So yeah. it really works. I'm curious. Who do you think deserves the credit for that finish? Is that something you guys came up with? Does Paul help with that? Did they have somebody helping with that sort of thing? I mean, we know it's going to be a slip and a banana peel type finish. of thing. Yes. I could not accurately tell you who had the final say in that, but I think I remember public enemy being very happy to do the honors and seeing, you know, the value in a fun match like this and that we would go on to, you know, battle them, like, like I said, especially in the house shows and have a, a real good time doing it. You wrote, there was a whole tour of Japanese wrestling fans sitting ringside at the show. And when I saw them, I hopped the rail and celebrated <laughs> as the Japanese media flashed away. I had no idea how much I'd see of these Japanese fans and their press in the future. Mm -hmm. Victor Quinones was a longtime promoter from Puerto Rico. He was booking talent for a small blood and guts group in Japan called IWA. I received a call from him about coming to Japan and competing in their death matches that featured barbed wire and a variety of other torturous devices. And I told him I'd pass at that time. I was having fun in ECW and being booked around the country. And I had no desire to have my body torn to shreds. I really had no idea how shredded I would become. Yeah, so it's sure. interesting that you're reached out to pretty early on about the IWA pass funk goes, maybe a change of heart. Definitely a change of heart. Yeah. Like I said, that was my opportunity to show the world but more importantly, myself, that I was capable of making a difference. And I think I did. I know I did over there in IWA. It's kind of fun to think about, and you may not even recall this, but in late August, they're going to do a TV taping. It's going to air in late September. You're the tag champs now with Mikey, and y'all are going to wrestle uh, a couple of kids named Dino Sendoff and Chris Canyon. Yeah, yeah. A very young Canyon here in ECW. Mm -hmm. I had no idea he was even there. Uh, he's going to eventually become the innovator of offense. Could you see right away? Hey man, he's young, but he's going to have something. I can't tell you for sure that I did. <clears throat> um, no, uh, because I, I was surprised and ha happily surprised when I saw how well he was doing. I'm not sure he had that volume of big moves right. at that time that he did, but he was, he was definitely an innovator. Although I'll say, and when it's coming to uh, innovator nicknames, Edge, <laughs> Edge crowning Tommy Dreamer with the moniker "the Innovator of Silence." I love that. That's pretty dark. That is an all-timer right there. <laughs> innovator of Silence. My goodness. There's also a dark man, uh, a dark eight-man tag that night. You've got Public Enemy teaming with Shane Douglas and Matt Bourne who's now working as an even darker version of yeah. Mike taking on you, Mikey Whipwreck, Chris Benoit and two cold Scorpio, man, ECW in 94. This is Stack a loaded brother. roster. Matt Bourne was no joke. Uh, uh, I think he did great things with the doink clown in WWE. 
evil clown. I mean, it later became strictly a G-rated kids gimmick, but a lot of people are afraid of clowns. Yes. Yeah, a lot Lean of people are afraid of clowns. Yeah. So, And I, I think I'm on an upcoming episode of uh, Dark Side of the Ring talking about Matt Bourne, but he was an extraordinary talent. Didn't last long in, uh, in ECW because I think he went on a European tour, uh, but he made, he made a mark while he was there. You're going to uh, have a really wild match in Hamburg. We've seen this clip a few times. Um, yeah. It's you and Sabu. Sabu is going to go for a springboard moonsault and overshoot it. He lands on the guardrail and breaks his ribs. Yeah. Goes to a commercial. When we come back, 911 has hit the ring. He's attacked you. Sabu is barely getting up, and you suplex him uh, onto a table. And, uh, or suplex a table onto him, rather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's going to miss the Arabian face buster three times and then fake a third. You roll out of the way, expecting Sabu to be on the ground, but instead he hits you in the face with it. Uh, and then he come, you kind of come right back at him, more suplexes onto the table. You're fighting through the crowd. There's a pile driver on the stage. He's going to dive off the stage onto you. Uh, 911 is here, so Polly's going to have him spike him on the guardrail. There's a springboard moonsault that puts you through the table. This is all after he has broken his ribs. Yes. Just incredible. And this leads to you get a beer bottle. <laughs> we we're fighting. It's not it's not planned. It's certainly not gimmicked. We're just brawling and I see the the bottle and I can't remember. I grabbed it or if I told him bring the bottle, but it was definitely just lying there completely ungimmicked. Cactus gets a bottle, but Sabu fights off. Split leg and moonsault near fall. Air Sabu, but Cactus catches him, but can't hold him up. Sabu lands on top and gets two. And then Sabu nails Cactus in the head seven times <laughs> with the bottle before it breaks. Oh, man. You can hear the ping of glass on the head of Cactus. Sabu drops on the top rope, comes off the moonsault for three. Listen, all the craziness in this match is enough, but the beer bottle, I mean, now I, I, I just getting to know you, it feels like you're committed now. Like we're going to do it until it breaks. We can't do the job for the bottle, right? The bottle can't be, it has to break no yeah. matter what, right? Yeah. At least that's the way I saw it. Um, it was interesting to see the level of enthusiasm of the fans rise, 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 and then suddenly be like, I think we're concerned now. We're concerned. Uh, please, please stop. But to me, the <laughs> the surreal nature of the match is that I have my oldest son Dewey. He's only three at the time. I bring him with me to Hamburg so we can visit my parents, his, his grandparents, after the show. And Dewey wakes up from his nap right before I go to the ring. So that as my music is playing, he turns around. Imagine waking up and you're three years old and you're in the ECW dressing room. And I was like, oh, no. no, no. And I asked uh, somebody, I think it was 911, even though he was involved in the match, just to uh, take care of him. So when I went out to that match, it was with the screams of my son in the background. So not only did Sabu have the broken ribs, but I'm, I've got the broken heart. Yes. We get back, and I've got all these lumps, like a bunch of Easter eggs on my head. and Fred Flintstone. Yeah. And they do, Daddy, how did it go? I, it, was, it was a good match. I think he said, did you win? I said, no, I didn't win, but it was a good match. You ready to see Grandma and Grandpa? And off we went. 
It's just so crazy to think about. You wrote in your book that you reached into a garbage can and pulled out an empty Coors Light bottle. Use this, I said. To do what, came the reply. <laughs> to hit me with. <laughs> I just, uh, I know that you've taken a lot of crazy bumps. Yeah. But this, like I've, I've heard the, ma- I think the magic of gimmicking a bottle is you bake it. Yeah. And that makes it a little, but you're, this is a real beer bottle. That's not been prepped just right out of the trash can that a fan just paid $6 for or whatever. Where does this list on, where does this rank on the list of all time? Bad Foley stupid things. If it doesn't make the top 10, it's not a knock on the stupidity of that moment. It's just the idea that I've had far stupider ideas i uh, i'd say top 20 top i've had 20. far stupider ideas there's a new t-shirt available <laughs> now um i mean the visual of this is sickening just because i mean even if, if it broke on the first one it wouldn't be nearly it wouldn't resonate but when it but you know on, eddie gilbert uh hit me over the head with a wine cooler bottle for a twa and that was a match that was a two out of three i did with joel goodhart and a photographer, Scott Goldstein, I think, captured a great shot of just the glass spraying everywhere. But it was a legit bottle. Uh, I was, you know, it wasn't until I got to WWE and saw that Richie Posner was capable of creating a, incredible moments without the human suffering aspect. And uh, I was resistant to that at first. And then, you know, by 99, I wasn't so... <laughs> tied to the realism. <laughs> Talk to me about, um, you know, the, the, again, this is another dangerous thing. Like we talked about the chairs flying in, it could hit a fan. Well, certainly shards of glass could hit a fan. I mean, there's real danger here, but you know, a lot of times we, I mean, we have seen like once upon a before, once upon a time, Piper broke a bottle over his head. Mm-hmm. We assume it was prepared or what have you, but is that something you had ever done before? Like besides the Eddie Gilbert thing and the Sabu thing, like just learning and trying things as a youngster, did you ever break a bottle over your head just to see if you could? Uh, a couple times. Okay. So yeah, so you I, I mean, it was what? done, you know, out of sorrow after a swing and a miss. Yeah. You know, a girl issue. Yeah. Swing and a miss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember doing that. Dumb, but uh, hey, the, one of the things they showed on the Randy Savage, um, the lost tapes, was Randy breaking a bottle over his head. Yes, and I doubt it was gimmicked. You know, I just time and place and knowing their uh, dedication, uh, I highly likely it was not gimmicked. So uh, yeah, there is a concern about the fans, and that's one of my concerns about the light tubes especially because those shards can be so microscopic and get in under the skin and do things that regular glass can't do. Uh, And I I remember being concerned, especially in the U.S. When you went to Japan, it was, you know, all bets were off. Right. uh, Because they didn't trumpet the attorney thing like U.S. fans did. But I tried to be safe. I I even had a big uh, blow-up with Sandman where I said, you can't throw me into the crowd. And he was intent on having the best matches he could. I was intent on taking care of my family at the same time yes. and not taking all the money that I managed to save, which wasn't that much, but I was hoping it would 
become more and giving it to someone because of something stupid we had done around and you know in the in the crowd listen i know this sounds silly but just as a heads up boys and girls don't hit yourself in the ball don't do it yeah like we didn't know about cte and all those sort of things back then this predates that it was a crazy sickening visual then before we knew all that now lord have mercy don't do that um but you're working with mikey uh, as a tag team partner a little bit more i mean you are certainly the veteran uh, what do you think of Mikey as a tag team partner, the pairing and just the actual mechanics of a match? How was it? I loved it. I, I loved it because she took such great bumps. Uh, he, he had sympathy with the fans. And this was, generally speaking, a pretty unsympathetic <laughs> group of diehard fans. Yes. But they really, they you know, they saw in Mikey that every man. They knew he'd been the guy, I believe, he used to set up the ring. And then Paulie booked him so he could take some good bumps, uh, booked him that way. And he was super over with the fans and a lot of fun to work with and a really good guy. Uh, and I think Mikey himself, because he does a good podcast uh, along with Jerry Lynn, I think. I think they've he's talked about his time with me as being a, you know, a really good time. He liked driving with me. There were several occasions where I would drive Mikey back uh, to Long Island but because he lived another 40 minutes east, uh, he would sleep over the, the Foley place in West Babylon, and then in the morning I'd drive him back. And there, I was driving with Dewey, and I know this is one of Mikey's favorite moments. I knew Dewey had problems with his C and K sounds, right? Like a lot of kids do. And I said, oh, look at those nice kitties, Dewey. Yeah, I said, can you say that? And M- Mikey, I kid you not, I think he's got a thing of milk. You know what's about to happen, and Dewey says, Nice titties, and out go, <laughs> out goes the, Tremendous. out goes the milk. So I think it was, you know, uh, it was like a big brother type relationship. Uh, I, you know, I, I think he recalls the guest room at the Foley place with fondness, and we loved having him there. It's uh, it's amazing because you're able to do something kind of special here. This is before you're all the way finished up with WCW. Mm-hmm. So you're cutting a lot of very memorable promos on ECW TV about, and you're even talking about how you put off your surgery yeah. uh, to get your ear reattached, and you're still on WCW TV at the time, but you're able to talk about it. And um, I'm curious what Paul thought about that, because he didn't have the best end to his time in WCW, but he remained friendly with Kevin Sullivan. Uh, were you able to spend much time talking to Paul about you trying to have one foot in WCW? Well, I already knew I was leaving right. WCW. And the best of my knowledge, I only had that one match with Sabu while I was an active actively with WCW. I could be wrong. And if you said that I worked both August 13th and 27th, then I would be wrong. Because I don't think I was released. I don't think I finished up with WCW until the middle of September? That's right. I think so. We, we talked, uh, you know, at length about the uh, Loser Leaves Town match with, with Sullivan. So I think that was the middle of September. So we it wasn't like a conflict. It was, you know, Kevin, Kevin was a big advocate of ECW, uh, and he was the one kind of pushing that relationship. So they didn't mind. I mean, we went into also talked at length about... Um, getting back for that uh, Falls County or match with Sullivan only 15 minutes before getting back from Austria. But it was Kevin who, you know, who got me the go-ahead to go over to Austria in the first place. 
So let's talk about Smoky Mountain here for a minute. We haven't spent any time talking about that. But besides ECW, the other big independent here in the yeah. country is Cornette's Smoky Mountain. But Cornette and Paul Lee have not always gotten along so great. <laughs> and, of course, I'm sure Cornette wasn't happy about the whole NWA yeah, yeah. double turn or double cross, what have you. Do you remember there ever being a discussion with Paul or Todd where they said, hey, we would prefer you not work Smoky Mountain? I do not remember that. Do you remember why you opted to do more with ECW than you did with Smoky Mountain? I think because I had a specific story arc in Smoky Mountain, and it was a really good one. Uh, You know, coming in and trying to uh, rescue Boo Bradley from the evil clutches of Candido and Tammy Sitch. And so I think it was understood that it was like a three- or four-month story arc. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I did the, the Thanksgiving show and the, uh, the Christmas show. And I think there were four Christmases in a row where I worked on Christmas Day, where we opened up presents and then I had to take off and hit the road. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about um, uh, when you're working in Hamburg. It's you and Mikey defeating Dean Malenko and Jason Knight. <laughs> Is this one of your only matches against Dean Malenko? I, think it- <laughs> I, did, I, would, I, I would have guessed I had not worked with Dean. Uh, I don't, I, I, you know, it reminds me when uh, Bob Costas told this story about uh, talking to, uh, who was the heel in the movie Shane? Uh, and he later went on to be in uh, City Slickers. Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about. Uh, I don't forget great, that. Great. Uh, Grillo, you want to get to work on that? Let's find out. Uh, the cast of Shane. And it would be the heel, and uh, Costas builds him up to say this character, the personification of evil, you know, struck fear into the hearts of a generation of Americans. Uh, what can you tell me about that role? And he goes, to tell you the truth, I don't remember a damn thing about it. Jack Palance. Jack Palance, right? Remember Jack Palance came out and yes. did a one-handed push-up uh, on the stage of the Oscars? That's the way I feel about that match. Uh, Conrad, to tell you the truth, I don't remember it. <laughs> damn thing you also about wrestle uh, Sabu. Uh, and around this same time is when you launch the now infamous Wanted Dead or Alive t-shirt. Yeah. What can you tell us about the creation of that shirt? Hey, that's uh, Bruce Savini. Uh, and when w- ECW saw the difference a really good t-shirt could make, uh, they started working with Bruce. And I'll say that that shirt like spurred on the improvement of t-shirt designs across the entire wrestling landscape. And of course, d- WWE had great designs. WCW tended not to. I thought there was night and day in quality of the designs and imagination. And uh, But I'd say that it, great, it showed that what a good shirt could do and how, uh, you know, when I'd go to Japan, you know, you'd, I'd maybe only made 300 a night, but I was probably making that in T-shirt sales as well. Right. So it was almost doubling my, my take-home pay. Uh, but if you would have told me in 1995 that that T-shirt would still be around. That's crazy. 28 years later and yeah. still doing business. Yeah, uh, just crazy. He came up with this cool design and, uh, and it worked. If you're looking for something that'll last a little longer, can I recommend Blue Chew? <laughs> Today's episode and Mix Wiener are brought to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? 
Well, now you can increase mm. your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's bluechew.com. Bluechew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Lichu's tablets are made right here in the US of A. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package, but Mick. <laughs> There'll be nothing discreet about your package. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. And boy, do we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Foley at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley and you'll receive your very first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. We want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Thank you, Blue Chew. Uh, Connor, I'll be honest, I have not yet tried Blue Chew. Mrs. Foley is not in favor. <laughs> she don't want to go one-on-one with the great one? <laughs> not not a, not an enhanced great one. Uh, well, I mean, listen, you, it's for science. It's, that's what I'm thinking. The Could science we call in a ringer? Me. Maybe we can see what Trina Michaels is up <laughs> She's doing. Could I, you do us a favor? <laughs> do a little run-in for us. For science. Ask Trina if she wants to do a run-in. I mean, just see. <laughs> Maybe she's got a testimony. I bet she's her. I'm her course. child's godfather. Do you know that? Yeah. Well. So I don't think I'll be calling in Trina for that uh, that specific thing. But I, I'll just I'll go out on the road uh, with a kid. No, find a find a willing participant. <laughs> no, Could you do me a favor? <laughs> Could I'm gonna eat this blue chew. Could you just check back in about 45 minutes? Close your eyes and hold still. <laughs> It'll last, it'll be the length of a heat match. It'll be in and out. <laughs> Literally. Uh, okay. I found this in my research. Um, not only are you selling merch like crazy, and you even wrote in your book that you think you were maybe the catalyst for the ECW merchandise craze because of the success of this Dead or Alive shirt. Mm-hmm. But in the Observer, there's a little ad. Speaking of Cactus Jack, he's open to side business selling leather biker jackets and vests for a catalog sent to Cactus Jackets, 4290 Bells Ferry Road, number 106566, Kennesaw, Georgia, 30144. And he's offering a 10% discount if you write and say you're an observer reader. Wow, very nice of Dave. Yeah, Cactus Jack is short-lived. Uh, we made a go at it, you know, we lost, uh, you know, several, you know, when I say several thousand, like, you know, seven, $8,000 enough to see that I didn't belong in the retail business. So we did open up a gym after that and lost money on that as well. Um, but we were trying at that point, we didn't know there would be the opportunity stemming from wrestling that there are today. I didn't know that I, you know, that I, so you're that, thinking I need something else. I'm thinking I need a, you know, I, I need a plan B. So, uh, yeah, we thought we would be gym owners. That would be the long-term plan. And then we had that gym in, uh, I think, 97, 98, and 99. And then uh, when business took off, it was becoming clear there was going to be life after my you know, yes. full-time WWE run. The state of Florida needed to widen the road. And I told them this gym had been my dream. <laughs> my dream. We got out 
from underneath almost without losing money. We still lost money, but not as much as we would have had the uh, had the state not come along and purchased and, and our property. Eminent domain. Yeah, that's right, brother. So chat me up about cactus jackets. You got any of those still hanging around somewhere? I don't think so. I don't think so. There was a guy named Mobin uh, from Pakistan. He was kind of doing it as a favor, you know, because he was a big wrestling fan. So he was giving. He would sell me the stuff at wholesale, uh, his cost, and then I would. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we sold a hundred things. It, it well, was, listen. If you are listening and you have one of these cactus jackets, we need to see a photo. Send it to us yes. at Folia's Pod. We would love to see it. Uh, you know, I love this plug by Dave Meltzer. What was your relationship like with him? I mean, clearly you sent an ad in. Right? I guess so. You know, I think uh, I faxed Dave every once in a while. I might take exception with something that had been written, well, you know, a couple times a year. Um, the only conversations I had with Dave was where I would pick his brain about what talent might be making. So I could get a feel because it was secretive in those days, you know, so I could get a feel for what I might be worth. Uh, I'd say a couple times a year, contact a couple times a year, maybe, uh, maybe not more than half a dozen. Here's an interesting match that you're going to try in ECW. You're building towards a brawl game match, not a ball game match, but it's that November to remember. And the idea is you and Mikey are going to defend your tag straps against public enemy. And if you take someone out for a 10 count, your team gets a baseball bat to use, but it's a pinfall that finishes the match. <laughs> That's a little creative. No, I remember driving with Paul now on the list of stupid ideas. This might be number two. Okay. Uh, I remember I, I was, I, I, I think I've talked about it before. I, I would, my deal with Paul 500 for house shows, 750 for arena shows. And I remember doing a road trip where I was talking to Paul and I was so intent about just letting Ted Petty have that one shot to the, you know, the orbital bone with the aluminum baseball bat. And that was a chance I was willing to take. It could have shattered my face. Yes. It could have done in my entire career. And I think Paul talked me out of it. And we still had a good match with the bat and made the bat kind of meaningful. Um, but there was no shattering of the... <laughs> Of the orbital bone, fortunately. So since you can't do that, yeah, you have all the guys get on the stage and you climb up to the nest and you do an elbow drop through a table right. off the nest. This was a big deal. Um, I doubt it was even the biggest deal of the night, though, honestly. It was a big deal, and it seemed like I was way up there in the clouds, and it looked good. I mean, it still yes. looked good. It made the higher light reels, but I doubt it was even the biggest move of the night. Uh, in the ring, Grunge is going to come off the top rope with a baseball bat to the face of Mikey. He gets the cover. He gets the pin. And Public Enemy now start their second reign as tag team champions. So you're going to drop your tag team titles. Unfortunately, you didn't get your wish of getting hit in the face with a baseball bat, which is wild. But still a big moment, jumping off the nest, putting some folks through the table. And on this same night, sadly, Sabu would have his neck broken, taking a move from Chris yeah. Benoit. Man, what a crazy visual that was. We would see it replayed on ECW TV for quite a while. Clearly an accident. Nobody intentionally trying to hurt anybody there. But it is a reminder that, hey, while we're doing bats and tables and you know, just a regular suplex could go really, really Yeah, badly. yeah. Uh, I remember that. 
and all kind of rushing to the ring and trying to come up with like an impromptu uh, main event. Uh, that was a, that was a scary time, and Sabu was out for qu quite a while after that match. Uh, Joey Styles is going to tell us on TV that Mikey has been taken out of the rematch on the 19th because of a concussion and you don't want to just tag with anyone. So you're asking for a singles match. Uh, but Mikey won't let you do that because Mikey's mom says he can't come home until PE or out of wrestling. And Jack is worried. And the partner that Mikey has picked for him is maybe perhaps going to turn on him. Mikey slaps you around and tells you that you got to do it. And your partner will be Kevin Sullivan. And this is fascinating because it's not as if Kevin Sullivan, who works for WCW, he's friendly with, with you and certainly Heyman and, and a lot of the other talent, but WCW and ECW are not best of friends here. No, no. And he's got an opportunity to come in here. What'd you think of Sullivan? Coming to uh, to ECW. Remember when I quoted Jack Palance saying, "I don't remember a damn thing about it." There you go. That's it. I don't, I don't remember that match at all. Well, you're going to be uh, brawling all over the place. It's in Philadelphia, as you might imagine, an all-out brawl with oars, with chairs, <laughs> with a shovel, a crutch, cookie sheets, uh, and of course, eventually, Mikey Whipwreck comes out to give you give you a hand. Um, but a lot of this happens, uh, or his run-in happens because you spit on the ECW title and Sullivan is going to attack you with the belt. The ref calls for the bell. And then here comes Mikey to help you out. Uh, Rocco goes up top, Tasmaniac and Sabu hit the ring, go after public enemy. Sabu is going to put grunge on a table and come off with the Arabian face buster. Lots of Gaga, lots of violence. Um, did you think at times it just became too much in ECW? Like I understand the key to life is, is supposed to be moderation, Yeah. but ECW, it felt like it was just zero to a hundred in every match all the time. <laughs> uh, man, you know, what's funny is I was healthier physically during my time with ECW and, uh, and IWA than I'd been in years. Wow. As far as the aches and pains, because there was so much other gaga going around, and because I had learned that the key to success was 90% talking about what you're going to do and 10% backing it up. Okay. Uh, and so I was surprised at how good I felt as far as being able to do the most amount of push ups or free squats, Hindu squats, you know, that I had ever done. Uh, that there wasn't the same pressure on me to do the because you couldn't do that type of thing in WCW but I could do the bone jarring stuff in WCW so in ECW I kind of picked my spots to do those type of things in ECW I was coming home you know lacerated and some once burned on one occasion but I wasn't coming home as sore as I had been right. I mean I did at least one big bump a night even at the house shows, but that big bump might be a suplex on the, you know, on a gym floor. And I was able to create more of the illusion of mayhem while actually keeping pretty healthy. So after the match, you're going to be cutting a promo, uh, and, and running down Kevin Sullivan when woman's going to appear and say, Hey, watch your mouth when you're talking about my husband. And then from behind 
you're attacked by Sandman because she's managing Sandman. That's going to set up Tommy Cairo teaming with Sandman to take on you and Tommy Dreamer, uh, the innovator of silence, as you <laughs> said, Edge called him. Um, you're helping make a lot of guys here. I mean, you, you're working with, you've obviously worked with Sabu, you've worked with Funk. Those guys are sort of made established. But you're giving a little bit of the mainstream national scene rub to public enemy. Certainly Mikey Whipwreck. Now it looks like Tommy dreamer is next. What were your first impressions of Tommy dreamer? Well, I'd known Tommy from way back in the Savoldi days when he was Tommy dreamer with the green suspenders, almost like a Chippendale <laughs> type type gimmick. And I liked Tommy and I'd seen the stuff he had done. I can't remember when his original feud with Sandman was, but this was an extension of that, right. taken to the next level. And there was one specific, think, I think Tommy saved me from getting a cigarette butt to the eye. And during the course of that match, I had uh, lacerated the top of my hand pretty you know, pretty badly in that it was wide open. It wasn't bleeding a lot, because that part of your body doesn't bleed a lot, but it was like wide open so you could see the white meat. And I cut a really good promo with Tommy by my side, and I remember just holding up my hand afterward. And even though Tommy hadn't said a word, it kind of solidified him and I as a team. Mm -hmm. And then that worked so well to get me to that next step of the journey, which was the anti, uh, the anti hardcore hardcore promos. I love it. It's holiday hell. Sandman's going to go up and drop a leg, a pile driver spike for Dreamer for two count. Cactus breaks it up, brawling all over the place. But eventually, uh, you're going to hit a DDT on Cairo and win the match after 9-17. But that's not it. The fight continues, even though the match is over. And Dreamer goes after Sandman with the cane. Woman's going to jump on him. Uh, he goes after her. She throws Angel in the way and leaves. And you get on the mic and tell Tommy not to do it. <laughs> Dreamer gives you the can. And then you nail her with it. Yeah, the timing was really good on that. She's a woman, Tommy, you know, like get, uh, really talking him out of it. And then wham, timing was good. Kind of wish I hadn't done it because it's, you know, violence against women. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it was a, the timing, you know, like the time it did get that big pop. And that was a, I mean, that was a fun night and a lot of gaga going on and a, a really cool way to end that match, even though I wish I, in retrospect, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't done it. Well, I'll tell you this, it was quite an end to 1994 because that's going to wrap up your 1994, uh, you know, with the holiday hell show. And when you first started 1994, who would have ever imagined you would be finishing up with WCW and working here in ECW and we'll pick up and talk about ECW in 1995 next time. But was it meeting your expectations? Were you having fun? Like oh, yeah. at times WCW had maybe caused you to become, I don't know, disillusioned with yeah. the industry or your career. Has this reignited it? Just the fun? Yeah, I, because uh, like I said, nobody's asking for the ball back. I understand my role, uh, help make people have good matches, create memories. I'm cutting the best promos of my career. My wife and I are happy in that we're, you know, we're, we're bringing in a very low six-figure income, but still six figures, and I'm doing it on my own. There's a, a special sense of uh, pride in that. Mm -hmm. um, 
But as I think I mentioned in another show, I know I mentioned this last night in our ad-free special that uh, Casio Kid did. There was a time when I wanted to reach out to uh, I wanted to reach out to WCW and see if they'd be open to, have, to having me just appear on their Nitro shows, where I would be like a high-profile pro- enhancement guy. Mm-hmm. And it was Paul who told me, first of all, Cactus, we, we can't have you losing matches on WCW and being a top guy here. And I was saying, Paul, I just feel like with what I'm making in Japan, what I'm making here, an extra, say I made an extra 500 a week, there I could make a pretty good living for my family. And he was like, Cactus, you have a much brighter career than you realize. And he f- was the first person to make me believe that WWE might be interested in me. Because I had completely written them off. I was just, I was not a WWE guy. That's why when I was doing the uh, anti-hardcore promos, I was talking about WCW because first of all, I thought the fans had a secret hidden respect for WWE that they did not have for WCW. Even though any time a star from WCW came in, they were, you know, received with great enthusiasm. Uh, So I, I was happy. I was looking at, a you know, a limited... You know, I was like, well, this career is going to be limited. There was time uh, when Mr. Asano offered me the $500 a week bump where I'd be making $350. When I say $350 a night, I mean, this is a 10-day tour, and I do count the days where you're flying as work days, right? So, I mean, it was $3,500 for a week, but it was really $3,500 for 10 days. Uh, There was a simultaneously, I can't remember the exact timeline, but Victor Quinones and uh, most of his guys jumped over to FMW. But I, but by that time, I'd already signed my WWE deal. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead uh, here. And I, I had no issue at all with IWA. They always treated me well. And I don't think that sat well with Victor and a couple of the guys who thought I should have jumped. But it was like, I, I just, they've been good on their word. Everything I've, you know, they said they do, they did. Uh, pushed me uh, as their top foreigner. Like, I'm going to continue to take the bookings I have left before I go to w, uh, WWE. And that made a big impression on Vince when I said, Mr. McMahon, I'd really like to finish my bookings in Japan. And he said, uh, is, do you have a signed contract? I said, no, but I I gave them my word. And he said, that's the type of guy I want working for me. Yes. So that worked out. Um, but So I'm jumping all over the timeline. But to answer your question... Yeah, I was really happy with uh, the direction that the ECW um, time had gone. Well, and I know you're really happy every morning because you start your day with athletic greens, and so do I, and maybe you should. If you're looking for better gut health or more energy, maybe you want to optimize your immune system, let me give you the heads up. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens, literally everything you need to start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients to better support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, all of the things. It's also lifestyle friendly. Man, whether you're doing keto or paleo or vegan, or maybe you're dairy-free or gluten-free, well, ag one still for you. There's less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals. There's no artificial anything, and it still tastes good. It'll also support better sleep quality and recovery, better mental clarity and alertness. Think of it as like your all-in-one nutritional insurance. And don't just take our word for it. Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. 
And right now it's time to reclaim your health. Arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Foley. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Foley to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I think it's really important to get those greens. I've surmised that you can't get by with the lettuce, tomato, and onion on top of your Whataburger alone. <laughs> Even if there's pickle there. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you, we could all use a little a little more greens in our diet. Check it out. Athletic Greens is the way to go. Let's do some questions here, Mick. Joe wants to know, where did you get your airbrush t-shirts made? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I wish I had those originals. They'd be going for a mint right now. Yeah, people would love I that. I feel like I have the Forgive Me Uncle Eric. The WWF and F. They sell those. There's a store somewhere on Etsy or whatever that sells those, but I just saw somebody uh wearing one a couple of days ago. Um I uh I don't remember who the artist was, but I think it's just something where I saw somebody wearing something or maybe saw uh, an airbrush artist at a show and was like, hey, could you do something for me? What about Francis Reyes' question? Was there ever any advice that Paul Heyman gave you in ECW that helped you later in your career? Well, everything, every little piece of advice would go on to help me, I think, in some way. I mean, laugh and cut them off is just a great way of getting heat. And he pointed out the character, I believe it was Paul pointed out, uh, uh, or the drill sergeant that early Ermy or, uh, or great, great character who played the drill sergeant in full metal jacket. Oh yeah. 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 Or I can't remember. I met him a handful of times great, at great USO character. events and he said, watch how he makes you laugh and then cuts you off and makes you feel bad for laughing in the first place. Yes. So the whole money, uh, funny isn't money doesn't take into account that you can utilize that humor to get even more heat if you do it well. I love it. And it's been said, like, I, I think, it, I can't remember who said it, uh, uh, Brian Gewurz said, you know, Vince says, oh, anyone can do humor. It's like, no, no, anyone can do humor. Only a few people can do it well. That's right. And in a way that you pick at, you take your top superstars of all time, drawing-wise, and Almost all of them are going to find a way to inject a little bit of humor into their character. Uh, Matthew wants to know what extreme stipulation did you want to do in ECW, but it never happened. Or maybe you said no to, I can't think of one. Um, yeah, I, I cannot think of one for example. I'll give you an example of something I did say no to. So people know it's just not just a blank check is that when I was co-hosting the Jimmy Kimmel show, they had gimmicked a steel chair. And I said, but what about the rim of the chair? What about the, you know? And they were like, oh. I said, yeah, if he misses me, it's going to split my head wide open. And he's got no history whatsoever in using it. Not talking about Jimmy. Jimmy wasn't going to hit me. So I said no to a chair shot, uh, even though it was a gimmick chair, because I was afraid, you know, I didn't want. What if buy, he misses? What if he misses? And I thought there was a good chance he would miss. And the lip of the chair, I mean, 27 stitches against Terry Funk, you know, that opened you up like a can of sardines. Uh, Rick Guzman says, having worked for both, what evolution did you witness from ECW to Ring of Honor? 
of course, a lot of longtime fans will remember a big part of the RF video tape business was selling subscriptions to ECW syndicated TV for folks who couldn't get it. And of course they did fan cams and things like that. So they say necessity is the mother of invention. When ECW goes under and now Vince owns it, uh, RF video needed something else to do. They created ring of honor. So yeah. it was like the super indie that maybe ECW was before you had a chance to work in both because you appreciate the evolution. Maybe there's less violence or weapons, but the quote unquote work rate lived on. Yeah. And it still had that feeling of being something fans could embrace as being their own. Yes. It definitely had that feeling. I'll even say that when I went to TNA, there was a little bit of that feeling there as well. Yes. That we're a part of something that not everybody knows about or can appreciate. And I really, I really liked, I loved, you know, even though I I didn't have a match in uh, my time in ROH, it, it went really well. I think evidence of that is that, you know, 20 years after I worked there, uh, I'm still in touch with Carrie, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just a few years ago attended a Tull show. So great guy. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there very much. Two Count Kyle says, Mick, how was your experience working with Paul Heyman? Did you have any creative differences or issues getting paid? So listen, you told us about the whole baseball bat thing where he talked you out of that. Were there any creative differences that you and Paul ran into? No, zero, zero. I mean, even when it came down to the big uh, request to do the heel turn, um, I was late getting to the arena. You know, even then, I, in my promo, I remarked about the head injuries because they were taking their toll even then so that I was 20 minutes late because I couldn't find a building I'd been to probably 10 times before. And Paul sits me down and says, Cactus, this is a question. This isn't fair to you to place this upon you now. You should have days, if not weeks, to you know. Paul can, you know, he's a wordsmith, right? And uh, I said, oh, "What is it?" He goes, "Will you turn heel tonight at the ECW?" And I said, "Yep." And all I did was think about the guy in the crowd with the Kane Dewey sign, mm-hmm. and that became my reason to turn, not just on my opponent, but on the entire fan base and organization. I can't wait till we talk about that in long form. Uh, That'll be another time. Yeah. Another right, time. Okay. So listen, the the issue is getting paid. As far as I know, no. that was a much later ECW. I, I so. never had any issue getting paid. I, I, it did make me think of this when you said earlier that Todd Gordon had you an airline ticket that said Jack Manson. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, had the WCW organization come up with the gimmick and the name Cactus Jack? Do you think you would have been one of those folks who would have considered making that your real name? Like we've seen guys like the ultimate warrior, like he changed his name to warrior. And as I understand it, Pat Patterson legally changed his name. And Oh, would I have been cactus Jack? Could you have ever imagined a scenario where your first name was cactus and your last name was Jack and now they can't keep it from me by God. Not one single, not, not for a moment. Never even entered my mind until you brought it up now. And I'm glad I didn't do it. Because I, you know, Mick Foley has become the, you know, the kind of the fourth face, and I think when I was the uh, commissioner, specifically, that was, you know, a very much different character that I portrayed. So, I like being Mick Foley. These days, we don't get to see that though. Guys using their real name. Yeah, and it feels like certainly you can in, in AW, I suppose. But 
a lot of folks on the WWE side of things, they have a name that WWE owns, and that's the way they want to do I, it. I think our diehard fans would be surprised to learn how few of the wrestlers actually know each other's real names. Everyone calls themselves by the giving names, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, 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 I, since we're on this subject, you don't call The Undertaker Mark or Mr. Occasionally Catholic. I call him Mark now because okay. he calls me Mick. But he was one of the great holdouts who called me Cactus even during my uh, WWE time. It's only like in the last year. I think when he did the, you know, the five-part documentary, yes. then I was like, okay, I can, now him, you I can. can call him Mark. Yeah. Well, I, 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 uh, when I had the good fortune of meeting and hanging out with him once with Rick, it was uh, – it's a weird circumstance for me because as a fan, I don't want to use his real name because that's not how I know him and that yeah. was disrespectful. But I want to show deference and respect because he is my elder and, yeah. and I'm a fan and blah, blah, blah. So I just went with Mr. Undertaker, <laughs> which in hindsight sounds kind of goofy, but what else am I supposed I, to do? I know, you know? because if you call, you call him Taker or Take him, I'd be like, cool. we're not familiar what? enough. Right. Excuse me, Undertaker. Mr. Taker. Undertaker, sir? He likes Taker. But you don't call him. I mean, when I became an announcer, it was like in bold face type. Never under any situation is he taker. Like right underneath, it's not a strap. It's not. It's not a belt. It's never a strap. And then it was Undertaker is never taker. He's always the Undertaker. It's amazing. Uh, one last one. Terrell wants to know: betting on himself was not only admirable, but it also worked out pretty good. But at any point. Post walking out on his six-figure deal with WCW, did Mick ever think, what have I done? Yeah, I'll tell you when I thought that was when I was uh, underneath the ring in, in temperatures hovering just above freezing, and I had to be under the ring to come out and do a, a run-in for an IWA house show. So there's about 180 people in the crowd anyway, and I could see my breath in front of me, and I was like, what the F am I, yes. <laughs> am I doing here? I was making... You know, three thousand. That's a good. That's a good, good amount of money. Still a good amount of money. Yeah. And I had the two kids, and I was betting on myself. But that was one specific time where I was like, "What the f am I doing?" Uh, but it all it all worked out, and I really admire the people in the business today who are willing to take that chance. So I, I mean, Drew McIntyre is to me the best example of somebody who reinvented yes, himself. Yes, sir. Uh, with Cody being right up there, you know, Cody had that great, I mean, that great idea where he just put out the the tweet or the Facebook the post with the list of people he wanted to work with. And I think I've talked about this before, but when I saw Cody at a um, Northeast, uh, that's a good indie, right? Uh, that's Mike a, Lombardi, the, Mike Lombardi, yeah, it's one of the best indies out there. And Cody was wearing a three piece suit in you know it's ninety five degree temperature at an outdoor baseball show. And I said, Cody, you, you're always going to wear that? He goes, every single time. So he was all about recreate, you know, creating himself. And he, he, thought, he thought he had more to offer than the company saw in him, and he set about proving it. So I really admire the people who do that because the time-honored way is go out there and do the same thing you did on TV and do it to less and less people as time goes by that you make the run where you're making the good money and then it's pretty good money and then three years later, it's like you are no longer relevant. And I love the guys who go out there because that's what I tried to do. Tried to reinvent myself, improve myself, put myself in a position where I could learn every night. Um, and so I take my hat off to people who have that type of guts and belief in themselves. 
We should also take our hat off to your friend, as I understand it. Seth Rollins is going to be in a freaking Marvel movie. How, How cool, cool is, is that? that? Wow, man. I just heard one of the Captain America movies. That's right. Man, I still think Becky would be the perfect choice if they ever did a, a live action of Brave. Oh, that'd just be great. Just can't see anyone else besides Becky. Did I tell you, uh, I know we're running out of time here. Did I tell you I've been like one of the few pre-readers of Becky's memoir? You did. And she wrote it all herself. I love it. She's way too tough on herself in general. And, you know, she'll make like a, you know, hope I didn't put you to sleep or whatever it is. And I'm like, Becky, this is really good. It's full of heart. It's you. It's a a great story. And I think it's going to be one of the most, not just... uh, successful wrestling books in years, but really important books. We should also plug Medusa's new book is out. It's out. Yeah. A little bit before Uh, I've had a chance to start it. I'm about halfway through highly recommend it. Go out of your way to check that out. I love when wrestlers write books and put a lot of time into it themselves. I read, I read Medusa's in two or three sittings. Yeah. It's fantastic. So it's really good. I'm proud that I'm on the, uh, even though I alluded to an uncomfortable moment on, uh, upcoming episode of treasures and it's definitely that but uh you know you could have uncomfortable moments and remain absolutely friends and so i'm really proud to have contributed it's really good and really honest really honest uh go out of your way to check us out on youtube it's foley on youtube.com love to have your social interactions as well it's at foley is pod on twitter instagram and facebook if you want to talk to uh, mick directly he's on instagram and active at real mick foley uh, and of course, if your business targets men 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here. Advertise with Foley.com can show you how affordable it can be. And if you just can't get enough Mick Foley, let me let you know, he just did a live Q and a over at ad free shows, and you can be a part of the next one. Catch that one in the archives and don't miss the next one over at adfreeshows.com. We're even doing a free trial right now. You see Foley rocking a new shirt today. If you're watching on YouTube, foleyispodshirts.com is where you can get the now infamous Mr. In Your House shirt and so many more. And Mick, as I understand it, Cameo is a booming for Father's Day. Yeah. This is a great time and a great gift. It is. I may put up the Father's Day video I did for Seth Rollins for his first Father's Day. Oh, where wow. I had my son Mickey singing background. I love it. I'm trying to write a few more Father's Day songs. I've only got... Three, which is three more than anyone else is going <laughs> to write for Father's Day. But I love it. I did a handful for Mother's Day, but I'll do far more. Uh, I'm in a little lull here, fans. Cameo lull. Uh, so I would love to uh, be really busy for Father's Day. And also, I will. I can be seen, uh, depending on the air date. What's our air date here? To, to two days from now. Oh, okay. So I can see you guys uh, at Motor City Con in Lovi, Michigan, this weekend and the following weekend at Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. And then uh, going into June and July, I'm taking it pretty light, but I'm doing a handful of uh, signings in the uh, tri-state and the New England area throughout the summer. Check it out. You can keep up with all of Mick's uh, comings and goings over at his website. RealMickFoley.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Foley is Pod. Have a nice day. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment, and they're now offering a free seven-day trial at TryFight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a 1,000 hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. 
Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com. Hey guys, need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. An all-new mailbag series debuts later this month on ad-free shows as we pick the brain of a man who has spent 40-plus years in the wrestling business. Longtime WCW and WWE referee Nick Patrick answers your questions. And Kurt Angle. Well, you get a beer on it. Or me on no, no, no. It ended up being my own blood. Austin had, <laughs> had, had the title. It had the jagged edges on it, right? And it had a deal where, where uh, uh, Angle pulled me in and I took the belt shot. A little bonus content comes your way, courtesy of The Kurt Angle Show. A dream match became a reality back in 2016 as Kurt Angle squared off against Cody Rhodes on the Independent. For the first time, Kurt watches back his match against the American Nightmare. This kid's really talented. He's selling the ankle here on the leapfrog, went down on it awkwardly. He's outside the ring talking to the referee. This is, like you said, all part of the match plan. Hey, start to show that weakness in the ankle. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, his idea to uh, make it look like he hurt his ankle so that when he did lose, <laughs> he had something to gripe about. Ad-free show members have chatted one-on-one with AEW stars like Eddie Kingston, Dax Harwood, Ricky Starks, and many more, including a recent live interactive session with Renee Paquette. He still continues to do that. He's on commentary in AEW. Um, so it, I think it was cool for him to kind of put on that analyst hat and get to kind of test out those waters a little bit. But end of the day, it was a thing that I think made him feel like, you know what, wrestling can be okay again. I can have fun in the wrestling space again. And and now we have CM Punk Wrestling. So you're welcome. That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why Ads Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com. Yeah.